0: Hey everyone and welcome to Seriously Risky Business. My name's Patrick Gray. Joining me as always is Tom Uren. G'day Tom. G'day, Patrick. And uh, yeah, for those of you who are unfamiliar, this is the podcast we do every week where we get together and we talk through what Tom's written in his newsletter, which is the Seriously Risky Business newsletter uh, that you can find on Substack. This week's edition of the podcast and the newsletter are brought to you by Proofpoint. And Tom, you published an interview with Selena Larson uh, into the Risky Business News RSS feed earlier this week. That was really interesting stuff. That's our sponsor interview this week and people can go... Check it out. So, you've covered a couple of things in this week's newsletter. The first is the announcement by the NSA that they're creating an artificial intelligence security center uh, at the NSA's Cyber Collaboration Center. Tell me, is this something real? Or is this something like when Keith Alexander built a replica of the USS Enterprise's flight deck at NSA headquarters so he could impress Congress people and get more funding? Like, you know, <laughs> is, is this a real thing? Or is this uh, just so NSA can say that they're doing something in AI?
1: Um, I actually think it's somewhere in between. So what he's done is he said, we're going to bring together all the efforts that NSA already has going and bring them together into the Cybersecurity Collaboration Center, which is a place where NSA is able to do outreach and talk to other stakeholders, industry, foreign partners, whatever. So there's nothing new, there's no new extra work, but what I think it does do is it puts that work in a place where it can actually influence the outside and vice versa. So Nakasone, the director of NSA said that really the job of the center is to do two things. One is to make AI secure. And he and I, I like the way he defined that is as protecting AI systems from learning, doing, and revealing the wrong thing. And the second goal of the center is to protect AI technologies from intellectual property theft. And I thought okay. that was the interesting heart, Um, in that the US has a number of different strategies where they talk about AI as a research project. And one of the sub goals is to make AI secure. This seems fine. And I think it makes sense that NSA contribute to that effort, because I think they have the right mindset to approach that as a problem and actually come up with mitigations. That's kind of what cybersecurity is all about, really. Um, But there's nothing in the broader US national strategies that really talk about protecting AI technology as a thing. So I think that's something that is really worth doing. And in a way, I think Nakasone stating it as a goal highlights to people that Perhaps there's something that the rest of government should be doing there. So really people are concerned about the PRC because that's the, yeah. <laughs> the biggest <Yeah>. cyber thief, <laughs> to use the PRC's own words. Um, and both certainly the PRC thinks that AI is a strategic technology that could be very important for the future. So there's an economic angle to that. If you can use it for, you know, to empower your economy, that's that's a great thing. There's also a defense and national security angle to that as well. So if you can incorporate those technologies into your defense I guess the the US would call it the defense industrial base, you could get a, an advantage there. And so I think um the ability to protect those technologies actually becomes critically important if you assume that that AI will make a significant difference.
0: Yeah, it's all it's all interesting, right? Because what I find amazing about a lot of this stuff is the advent of large language models have made all of this stuff, uh, you know, something that we, we everyone's focused on. But, you know, the defense industrial base and the intelligence community have been using AI or machine learning-based models since they've existed, pretty much, to do all, all manner of things. So I kind of find it strange that it's taken the parlor trick of getting things like generative language models uh, out there on the internet thats that's got so, you know, that's put so much interest into this, that's injected so much interest into this. I guess I'm saying that, that, you know, this has been an issue for military and IC for a while now.
1: What was really interesting is that about a month ago, Nakasone spoke about how the NSA had developed a roadmap for how to use AI. And in a way, it was somewhat dismissive of the application in SIGIP. And he said, uh, we've been well, doing are that for a are long you time.
0: About, are you talking about specifically LLMs and you know, language-based uh, AI?
1: It, it was broader than that. He, he talked yeah. about generative AI and other AI technologies. And it, when I say dismissive, it was not, uh, it'll amount to nothing. It's We've been doing it for a long time and we kind of know what we're doing and we've got a handle on it. Um, and so the roadmap said that there was opportunities in cybersecurity um, more generally, uh, and he didn't really dive into that, but he said that, the, that they'd also found that the potential to be transformative really lay in the business parts of NSA. So, and he specifically mentioned compliance and things like HR um, so, so that- the
0: administrative administrative part, I think, would be a better way to put it than business part. Because uh, last time I checked, they're not you know <laughs> <doing> for profit work. <laughs> I mean, you know, you never know. I mean, privatizing Sigint would be a a, a crazy thing, but you never know. Um, well, I Americans, guess that's what, uh, Americans are all about—the free market.
1: Well, that's what get- ransomware gangs have done, I guess. Um, but so there's so he's decided to wrap up all the efforts into a security center based on what he's learned from that roadmap. So it's not yeah. just going, here's a hot new thing that seems pretty cool. Let's just get, them, get it together in a center. There's actually a roadmap underpinning it. Um, so I think that they've got an idea of what they're aiming for. Now, more broadly, a lot of governments think that AI has the potential to be transformative. So I'm... Uh, Uh, You know, my natural inclination is to be sceptical of of whiz-bang new technologies because mostly change happens slowly and is incremental. Um, But I think the way to think about it is, is a kind of risk mitigation type step. If it is transformational and you've sat back and done nothing, that seems like you'll feel like you're an idiot. So by bringing together everything in one place and having a security element about protecting it from theft, I think that just makes sense. Like that's the right thing to do. Uh, But going back to theft, I guess when the PRC steals stuff, it doesn't just use cyber espionage. It uses all sorts of different techniques. So it's it's really very holistic. It's got uh, a kind of legal encouragement. It's got market inducements. To encourage companies to give up IP, and it also does human espionage. So, in a well, way, I mean, think- they can
0: they can identify people who are working, you know, where the data is, and coerce them. Uh, often, you know, recruit or coerce them. Yeah, especially people who got family back home. So, you know, I, I I think that is a interesting point that you raise. That there's definitely going to be a role for the FBI here you know and you yeah. wonder you wonder if it's a priority i mean it, it very well might be because i know doj is doing a lot around ip theft generally yeah um so you would you would think this would be covered by that
1: yeah i think to me it's a matter of degree like so they've already got those efforts i think if you think that ai is one of the most important technologies potentially it's probably worth elevating that effort to be the One of the highest priorities, rather than just being subsumed in IP in general, and so that's where I think there's space to uh, embiggen those efforts, I guess. Um, If you think that AI is just another technology, then it's probably fine.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think there's a. I, I like the idea of having a center that focuses on different aspects as well. Um, kind of for the reasons that you outlined, just get it all in one place so people can work on, you know, getting the models to to be wrang, you know, wrangleable. <laughs> is that a word? <laughs> you know, figuring out how to put boundaries on them and use them safely and whatever. And I'd, I'd expect that we might even see some public research out of that. Uh, and, you know, thinking of new applications and whatever. But yeah, I, I just think that, I think there is definitely, like if you look around in finance and investment circles, and among sort of macroeconomists and stuff, like they're seeing America's edge in AI at the moment as being this, you know, this big edge for the country and for the country's whole economy in, say, the next decade plus, right? So they're seeing this, this, um, you know, the, this innovation around AI as being something that China would desperately love to to get ahead of them on, and um, and probably won't. So you can you can understand why the you know organs that are designed to protect um, the United States and its economy are are, are thinking about this, yeah. So I I guess it does make a lot of sense.
1: In the research I did writing this piece, I looked at some of the... um, uh, My old workplace has a tech tracker where they look at things like the number of people, the number of publications, uh, formal research publications, and it's hard to say that the AI, that, that the U.S. does actually have a significant AI advantage. Like the weight of numbers and the weight of research is very, very close. So if there is an edge, I think the U.S. actually has to work quite hard to maintain it. Um, well, the, but I
0: mean, you're not just talk, thinking about software. You've got to think about the hardware and, you know, NVIDIA.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah. So that right? is a so significant it's, edge. It's
0: not, you know, it's not just the models. It's the entire ecosystem that the US appears to have, you know, to a degree, locked up, and they have a, a they have a significant advantage here.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I still think that it's not so significant that they can just sit back and do nothing. They actually have to think about it and work to protect it. Yes. Um, yeah
0: yeah yeah yeah, they need to defend it, and that's what this is about. I think we're you know, I think we're on the same page here, all right, so that's that one. People can go read Tom's analysis of that one in uh this week's newsletter, and then you looked at something that uh, we covered briefly in yesterday's show uh, that I covered with Adam Boileau, which is some work out of Mandiant, which I forgot to credit to Mandiant, actually, sorry everyone <laughs> at Mandiant for doing that. uh they've done a report into exploits like in the wild exploits, and it's actually pretty interesting right so you got to remember when you look at these things like they don't actually say where they got this information from or what data set they were looking but apparently of whatever data set it was that they analyzed they found that 62 percent of stuff that was exploited in the wild um out of this data set were O days, and the remaining 38 percent uh were exploited you know end day or exploited after public disclosure but this is the research that pointed out that bugs in you know, uh, bugs in Apple, Microsoft and Google software now account for 50%, less than 50% of bugs that are exploited in the wild, right? Which is the first time since they've been looking at this data and it's quite interesting. But you you know, so the attackers are moving towards hitting stuff like, you know, Citrix, Fortinet, Pulse Secure, all of this crap, you know, MoveIt and uh, WSFTP. But you found, you noticed something about some of the stats and the way they were applying some of this methodology that didn't make sense to you and doesn't really make sense to me either. I'm wondering if, if people at Mandiant, you know, if there's, if there's a method to the madness, Um, but, but yeah, we can't see it, but please explain to the uh, listeners (laughs) what we're talking about here.
1: Yeah. So on a first reading, they've got um, what they call time to exploit. And so my initial thought, just looking at the uh, acronym is that it would be the, difference between when there's a public disclosure and when it's exploited. So from public disclosure to exploitation, time to exploit, that makes sense. However, and, and and that would deal with end days. And however, it actually is defined as the time taken to exploit either prior to or after public disclosure, uh, which for me is a bit of a head-scratcher because if it's exploited Prior to public disclosure, then you kind of sh- would have a negative TTE, um, uh, uh, and that seemed weird. And then they, yes. um, and then they said that the TTE has declined over time. However, but how does that
0: work when you're looking at Oday, which is 62 percent of it? I know it's really confusing.
1: And then, the, and they actually go on to say, however. Uh, we think that part of that decline is because of some of the end days, and if you uh, some of the zero days. So if you take out the zero days, the end day exploitation timeline may have grown slightly. Um, so I like I just don't understand. And if there's a a, a good reason, I'd love to hear it.
0: Yeah, now I mean, look, there probably is, but anyway, go on.
1: Yeah. So leaving aside that, um, I like the kind of language around. What they talked about the top three vendors, and it just kind of makes the point that you can't really tell whether their security is good or bad based on these numbers because they're so large. They make up so much of the um, software ecosystem that, and and it's not possible to write perfect code. So you know they're going to have they're going to have bugs. Um, but they did point out that there's this trend towards exploiting other types of products and in the newsletter and on risky business you've talked about basically internet facing devices that often have administrative privileges or broad visibility into a network and there's a whole string of these devices that have been exploited over the last couple of years um, and I kind of didn't realize but when I looked at Klopp in particular they've gone from the Excellian. File Transfer Appliance, to Fortress Go Anywhere Manage File Transfer Product, to the Move It File Transfer Product, and just this week, the the same company, Progress Software's WS-FTP product. And so there's a, (laughs) you know, that's their kind of... Well, we don't
0: know that that's Clop, uh, but yeah, probably, or someone similar.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought that somewhere I had seen that it was Klopp. But anyway.
0: Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I've been busy this morning. Maybe I didn't see that.
1: (laughs) I I also could be wrong. And and it it seems like there's a clear, well, there is a clear, like, targeted, this is what we're doing. It's a plan rather than an accident that these devices are being consistently attacked. And so when you've got such rich pickings, like, why bother uh, doing something difficult? when you can find those edge devices and take advantage of them Uh, i guess you know another example just from this week is that um a, a chinese linked group is is sort of pivoting through cisco routers to move from subsidiaries up into headquarters organizations so it's all kind of of a of a piece um a similar theme there
0: yeah yeah all right well tom you're in Always great to chat to you, my friend. Great work this week on the newsletter. People can check it out. Go to risky.biz slash subscribe to find the link where you can subscribe to Tom's wonderful newsletter. Uh, Yeah, great to chat to you, mate. We'll do it all again next week. Thanks.
1: Thanks, Patrick.